Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Welcome, true believers, untrue disbelievers, whatever you want to call yourselves. Welcome back to the Second Print Comics Podcast. This is episode three, where we'll be diving into the wild world of Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. I am your host, Mark Clare, and I am here, as always, with my youthfully exuberant co-host, Remzo W. Martinez. Remzo, what's happening? Everyone needs a plucky sidekick, Mark. It just makes the whole world, you know, keep doing Are its thing. Are you the sidekick? Well, I guess I'm older, so you kind of have to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're closer to death, so I just thought because of that, it's it, it just made more sense. That is a morbid way to be looking at things, but you, you know, I I watched uh, I watched an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience last night, and he had Chuck Chuck Polinick. I'm probably screwing up Chuck Polinick and Chuck Polinick. Polinick. Yeah, we know who we're Polinick. talking about. Yeah, so like I, I I listened to that. It's like a two hour long episode. Then I went back and I watched Fight Club. And then before I went to sleep, I bought one of his audio books on how to write. I, I don't even remember what the title is, but it was like an impulse buy. So like I've I've been in like this morbid like dark humor mood, which is kind of perfect because of what we're going to be discussing today. But yeah, it's uh don't don't binge Chuck Palahniuk content when you're trying to be jolly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's one thing that we find not just in Savage Dragon that, that we'll be talking about today, um, but uh, in, in in the early days of Image in general, and I guess the the modern day of Image in general, you just find a different tone, uh, a de- definitely a more adult tone. Like for for someone like me who got into Image Comics through Marvel Comics because I was founded by six of the like pretty much the hottest artists at Marvel at the time, and we're gonna do a whole episode down the road breaking down the whole Image uh, Comics uh, formation and the whole Image Revolution and everything. That went on with that, so I won't go you know too much into that now. Uh, but basically, these artists broke off, and if you followed them there from from Marvel, if you were used to the the kitty style, I guess you might call it uh, of the uh, the you know the the uh, you know the nineties and the eighties, and pretty much all decades preceding, with the exception exception of a few stories here and there. Uh, and even then, when you when you go back and read like the more serious stories, they still feel a little kitty compared to. A lot of the stuff we've seen in the 90s and beyond, especially from independent comics. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what we're seeing in this era is really the rise of the anti of the anti hero character. I mean, whether it was Frank Miller's Daredevil run, which really reinvented that character to the Dark Knight Returns and even to, you know, real runaway characters such as the Punisher. What we're seeing is this hero that is kind of like on that that gray line period. I mean, I really call this kind of like a Quentin Tarantino style of writing comics where sometimes you, you read this stuff and what you're seeing is really something that, you know, it's almost it's almost like voyeurism in a certain way. It's like, wow, look at all this gore and look at all this really suggestive content. Is this something that I should be recommending to people? And <laughs> right. really, I mean, the, the one thing that really reminds me of this era, I started buying 
buying comics in 1999, and I, I used to buy them from a, a friend of a friend, and I remember... I, uh, I bought an issue one of Morbius, the living vampire, and on the cover, I forgot who drew the cover, but you see Morbius's face and his mouth is open and there's just blood everywhere. And with my parents, they're accustomed to me reading Justice League, Superman, Spider-Man. You never see anything like that on there. So when I come home with that issue of Morbius, they look at it, they're like, what the hell is going on with this? There, is, is that blood? Is that what what is happening? Did he kill somebody? And I'm like, he did. And he sucked their blood. So I had to go return that. <laughs> and uh, years later, like probably 15, 20 years later, I would buy that issue again with the same cover with the black and white Morbius, but then the bright red blood coming down. And I mean, it's it, it's this era. See, now it's a happy childhood memory. Yeah, I mean, it really it really let me know that, you know, times are a changing. And I mean, reading this, Mark, I got to tell you. I knew that Dra- I knew that Savage Dragon existed, and that's probably it. That's probably all you. He, knew. he was there. It's like, have you ever heard of Arm Fall Off Boy? Uh, no, exactly. Where did I heard that from? It, I I don't even remember where he came from. I just know he existed. You see, I don't. You know, most people will not know who Arm Fall Fall Off Boy is, but uh, basically, he can pull off his arm. Is and this toss a comic books character? What is it? It is. It is. He he was a sidekick, I think, for like the Legion of Superheroes. He could pull off his arm and throw it at bad guys. So basically, he does sound like a Legion of Superheroes character. Yeah, just kind of like the delete bin. It's a name what's happening and add boy or girl on the end, and then you have a, a Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> uh name essentially so basically like most people will never heard of that even if they're really in the comics but savage dragon for a lot of folks is just there like you know he's there but you've probably never picked him up and it wasn't until getting ready for this episode that i had even read a single issue and now i could definitely say that i'm hooked and i'm actually probably gonna buy awesome. the, the the full trade back of the archives because i just feel like now i have to have it just to add that variance to my collection how the hell did you learn See, about now this? <laughs> now, now we're talking. Well, I will, I will explain a little bit of the history of Savage Dragon as well as my own history uh, with Savage Dragon as well. But, you know, one of my missions in starting this show was to inspire fans to look at stuff that sort of inspired me or, you know, and not everything we're going to look at is going to be necessarily inspirational. Some of it we're going to be critical of, like we were uh, at least of that that second X-Men story uh, back in episode one. Uh, but, uh, you know, to me, it's really just about things like this are about my personal fanhood. You know, this is, I want to turn people on to the the books that really, really inspired me and the stories that really, really inspired me. And the fact that I've already seen just in our brief conversations and what you said just here, that this is inspiring you to get into a, you know, a new book that you, you knew was there, but you didn't really know much more about it. You know, I'm already accomplishing the mission before anyone has even heard this podcast. Um, there you go. So I'm going to get into it a minute. Speaking of which I do not want to forget to remind you guys before we get too deep into the show, we are a new podcast. We have not been around long, so we can really use all the help we can get. Sharing the show, uh, following us on social media, you can find us all over the place at Second Print Pod. That's uh, our Twitter handle. That's our Instagram tent handle. We're also on Facebook, Second Print Comics. We also have the Second Print Comics Fan Zone which we're going to limit as soon as it hits 50 members. We're going to, we have a very brief time where you can get in for free, but as soon as it hits 50 members and we're over halfway there, we just launched it even before, before the uh, podcast launch. Soon as it hits that point, we're going to be Patreon only. So uh, that segues to our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash second print pod. Uh, we've had early releases of uh, all of our episodes so far. So we had uh, some people that got to listen to this before it even officially launched. And uh, all of our, uh, all of our episodes will be releasing early, at least a week or two early to our patrons and we're gonna have a ton of bonus content we break down all the tiers and all the perks 
on a video over there. So I don't need to repeat it. You can just head over to patreon.com slash second print pod. Please, we beg you. Well, begging. We probably shouldn't beg. We ask you to consider. I'll if you're, beg. Okay, Remzo, you can beg. But uh, I'm just going to ask to consider if you're enjoying this podcast so far, a couple episodes in, if you like what we're doing, if you like our style, and you really want to help us grow, supporting us now, supporting us now in this critical sort of uh, early time of growth is the best time to do so because everything we do now is going to make us grow and grow and reach more people down the road. So any way you can help, whether it's just sharing the show, whether it's leaving a five-star review on iTunes, whether it's just telling a friend or, of course, supporting us on Patreon, any way you can help, we appreciate it, fanboys, fanboys and girls. You know, I found out, I didn't realize this. I don't know why, because I guess I've heard Kevin Smith use it so much. I use this term, like, you know, not negatively in a, in a like, comic book fan group, like saying fanboys, and I didn't know that some people get offended by fanboys. They actually think it's like a derogatory term, and I... I have never really thought of it that way. I've said the term like about myself, sort of like, it, you know, in jest. Have you ever encountered that? Did you know that this is a term that people took off- offensively? I, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me what people will find a problem with. I always I, I've always had a very love hate relationship with the term nerd. Um, you know, I it, it's it's strange looking at the world now because everyone and their hot cousin and deaf grandma has seen a MCU film. Um, I mean, everyone loves really everything that comes out of comics, even the non-superhero genre stuff like The Walking Dead or half the other dozen shows that are coming on every network because these properties are so hot. So growing up, when I was the kid reading a comic book at lunch, I was the nerd, and it was meant to say, you know, what are you? You're, you're an isolationist. You're a loner. You're into stuff that's so strange that you're, you're somewhat of an outcast. And then, you know, as as the world changed because they saw everything we love and they figured out, like, crap, this is actually pretty good stuff. Now, nerd is like be, being being the front runner for something. You were the That's forerunner right. for something. You, you're the trailblazer for all this stuff that we love because comic book culture really is mainstream culture now. So with nerd, it's like it, it really depends on how it's said because I don't hear it as often as a derogatory term now. But, you know, like for me, I will say I'm a proud nerd. This stuff is my childhood. It's my life. It's 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 what keeps me happy. So I, I think with that, that was probably more of that because I think fanboys can apply to a lot of things. I, I mean, whether you're into sports or something else, I mean, I think with, with fanboy, it's a bit more loose, but with like nerd or geek, it's a lot more, it almost carries more meaning because that term itself has changed. So no fanboys, it, it doesn't, it doesn't bother to me. To me, it's tug in cheek, you know, it's sort of self aggrandizing. It's endearing. It's like, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm a little fanboy, but to me, it's, there's nothing wrong with just accepting that label. And if you're, you using it in the right context then and you're all you all, you all know your comic book fans and you're all saying kind of saying it in the same way i don't know people are weird though you know how it is people, people are, are weird. weird people are weird on the internet especially when we don't really know them so yeah thankfully this is not a person i really know in real life i uh i, I do, yeah, i'm sorry i do see a strong correlation on like twitter for example for, for folks i don't know i'm a i'm a professional social media coordinator and i do see a law a, a rather large overlap between people on twitter that have like an animal like a cute little pet or something as their image and then a fake name attached to that <laughs> also yelling cursing and threatening at you yeah not so a you know not a yeah the, the world is weird <laughs> All right, so to dive in, first I'll I'll tell you a little bit about my own history with uh, Savage Dragon. As I discussed in our Origins issue, uh, our Origins episode, episode zero. You're so close. (laughs) 
episode zero, uh, which we did of this show. So you can find that back in the podcast feed if you haven't heard that one yet. Uh, you can also find it. We have a website. I always forget we have a website because we've hardly done anything with it, but it does exist and it will include posts of everything we do. Uh, secondprintcomics.com. So check that out as well. But uh, to dive in here, uh, as I said in the origin episode, I, you know, I kind of got started with comics in the early 90s. And, uh, you know, Marvel, Spider-Man was like kind of one of the first big heroes that I got into. Uh, So I was really familiar with, you know, Todd McFarlane, with uh, Eric Larson. And then when they broke off to Image, you know, I was I was already had become a big comic fan in the last maybe year or so uh, before that whole Image breakthrough. So I was really new to comics, but I was also really excited because it was this really big thing. I mean, it made mainstream news that these guys were all leaving and uh, forming their own comic book company, their own independent creator owned comic book company. Uh, and that was the big thing at Marvel. Uh, they worked so hard. A lot of them developed some of their own characters and, uh, but Marvel still owned everything they did and they really wanted to have control of the things that they were creating for themselves. So that was part of the agreement at image that, uh, each owner can contribute. They could even have an overlapping universe, which they do sometimes and sometimes don't. Um, but they did attempt that more so in the beginning. Uh, but the point was that every owner gets to control their own creations. No, There's no overlying head of the company that is in charge of the creations, even though they would have various uh, publishers and CEOs. Uh, the ownership always stays with the creators. That's always been the core of Image Comics. And that has allowed them the freedom to try different things. And one thing you will see, especially if, like me, you've been following this comic for almost 30 years. Wow. I just, I just did that math almost 30 years, uh, with a little break in between, uh, almost 30 years. I've been following this comic. You will see that Eric Larson always tries new things. It's always creative. He is always trying to reinvent himself, but to do so in a, uh, not like the all new, all new Marvel kind of way, uh, where everything's all new, but it's exactly the same. I mean, he really does reinvent this comic. If you stick with it over the years, uh, in so many ways. And, and one thing that's unique about, about Savage Dragon that I want to put out out there right in the beginning is that it takes place in real time ultimately so one issue might not necessarily take a month but over time like over a year over 12 issues a year in time has passed so these characters age uh real life events happen uh and when you follow it for 30 years and you can look back and see some of the tie-ins i mean there's tie-ins now to comments or uh issues or just events that happened in the very very early episodes in the early 90s and it all ties back in i don't think he necessarily had a grand plan with all of it I think with some of it he did, because this has been his baby. Uh, This has been his sort of brainchild since he was a kid. Uh, The character first appeared as Paul Dragon in graphic fantasy number one. Uh, back in June of 1982, and then the current sort of incarnation known as Savage Dragon first appeared in Megaton number three back in February 1996. Those 1986, I, sorry, I should say. Uh, those were some independent comics that Eric Larson worked on uh, back in the day, and those those were, that was his initial creation that he had come up with. Like you know, the, his first I don't know if it was literally his first drawing, but one of his first creations um, as a child was this character of of the dragon. So um, for him, it's even more amazing. I mean, I've been following it for almost 30 years, but he's been for him this has been his childhood creation. So and you can really see the heart and soul that goes into Eric Larson's work when he's working on his own creation here uh, in Savage Dragon. He's dipped his toe back in the water with Marvel and DC on a couple occasions over the years, and sometimes the production schedule slows down, sometimes it grinds almost to a halt, uh, but he always comes back and he always delivers quality content. As of this recording, I have not read it yet, but I have issue number 250 waiting to go. 
Um, so yeah, he's, it's really an incredible feat that he is. And, and the most incredible thing I think about Savage Dragon is Eric Larson has written and drawn every single issue, except there is a caveat. There was an issue 13 where every single of the, I think all of the original image comics creators, they switched episodes, uh, not episodes, they switched issues, um, and did each other's comics for their, for all of their 13th issues. But Eric, Eric Larson wanted to have a, a consistent run so badly that he just went back and redid a new issue. 13 that he wrote and drew so that's the only asterisk. that's like super ocd right there yeah kind of kind of yeah he just he couldn't stand the thought of a break in, the, in what he planned to be a consistent run over all these decades so if you just follow that if you include that issue 13 then it, it all flows great plus the three issue uh miniseries which is all collected in what we're going to be talking about today um, but yeah, I, I followed uh, I followed those artists over to Image, and I got into a few of the books. I think I had a lot of the number ones. Uh, you know, there was Rob Liefeld with Young Blood. Um, I had Spawn number one. I had the first few issues of Spawn, and I also bought Eric Larson's Savage Dragon because I think it just it just stood out to me at the store. Whereas you know, I think I checked out Wildcats, but you know, I, I checked out a few of those different different uh, creators, the, the Young Blood, the Wildcats. Uh, I did get into Spawn a bit, but the, nothing really captured me. Even Spawn, I thought it was Please. cool. Please tell me that you still know where those issue ones are. I have I have them in my house in okay. Connecticut. My my parents' house in Connecticut. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. I, I mean, I a, a signed and certified Todd Todd McFarlane signed and certified Spawn number one at home. Holy shit! Okay, yeah, I, I I just have to ask because there's always those moments where, especially when you're beginning collecting, you might not know exactly what you have, and then years and years later, you just kind of lo- lose track of them or something bad happens. What traumatized yeah, I, me? I did an inventory yeah. some time ago, so I, I know exactly uh, you know what I got there. It's not it's not yeah. it's, it's not exactly a fortune, but some of those number ones are worth you know significantly more than the uh, the cover price at least. Well, I mean, especially Spawn because depending on the condition, when I go to like Awesome Con here in DC, you, you can get them for between like six. 60 bucks and $300. Oh, really? I mine, mean, if it should be in yeah. excellent condition because it's barely been touched. It's been in the bag and board for, you know, this whole time. So when, uh, so. when my father went off to college in 88, he, um, he left his comic collection at home and his stepmom threw away his collection. Oh. And in that collection was the first appearance of Galactus in the fantastic. Oh my Four. God. And yeah. that is like four or five That's digit brutal. numbers right there. Yeah, I left mine at home too. My parents were smart enough to keep them because I. <laughs> <laughs> so they're it's still at my house. Yeah, I, I left stuff. that stuff in Connecticut in 2004, but it is still there. It is still my stuff, and uh, yeah, that's where all my originals lie. But I have a full inventory. I know what they are. I should start make, maybe consider selling some of it because I don't do anything with it. Um, I don't know. Maybe I want to hold on to some of it too. We'll see. Depends on the sentimental stuff. Like I own issue one through 67 in physical form of Savage Dragon plus the original miniseries. Uh, so that stuff, I think I would want to keep just because this is my favorite comic. Like, I don't. Oh, oh yeah. There's a price I could put on wanting to sell those issues. I've uh, never, I've never sold any of my stuff, even when I was at my poorest. Like, yeah, I will, I, I will have. sell. Yeah, like I will sell literally anything else but my comics. That's that's where the line is drawn. So with with the spawning. <laughs> spawning of savage dragon not to take from his uh well i guess they're not competitors they're all they're all working together uh but from the beginning of of those comics that i checked out i don't know what it was about about it but it it spawn i'm not spawn (laughs) i really want to say spawn a lot in this episode the spawning Um, of savage dragon (laughs) um savage dragon is the one that just captured me from the beginning it's the one that i found myself 
like at the end of every episode, I really wanted to read the next episode. Uh, why do I keep calling issues episode? I've been doing this. Since, I believe in you. You'll get I've been, there. I've been doing this since the beginning <laughs> of this show. Um, I always wanted to read every single issue as soon as I finished the last issue. And that is something that you don't always see with every comic. It's something you might see with certain miniseries, certain runs of comics, but it was just so consistent. I Every every issue I finished, I said, oh man, I got to see what happens next. You know, it was like the end of a suspenseful TV show. Uh, if yeah. anybody was into Lost, like that's how I felt watching Lost. Every At the end of every scene, I had to see what happened in the next scene. And Savage Dragon was the same way. At the, at the last panel of every issue, it always ended, and not in a forced way either, just in the like, wow, I'm so into these characters. Wow, I need to know what's happening next. Oh my God, what just happened here? Uh, that he's always continuing to, spri- to surprise, uh, always continuing to kind of send you in different directions uh, while developing characters in a really natural way at the same time. It's really a, a phenomenal work, and I have stuck with it. Uh, well, I, sh- I should give a, bre- a little caveat. I stuck with it as long as I stuck with comics. So I, I took a break from comics altogether. I guess I, I sort of left them behind when I moved out to Los Angeles in 2004. That's when I left my comic books at home, and, and for a long time I never just got back into comics, including Sam Savage Dragon. At the time, I think that was like the last comic I was just still going to the store and getting and reading. Um, but yeah, for, uh, between 2004 to 2015, I would say, is when I dipped my toe back in a comic. And I dipped my toe back in by being at a comic book store, just wal- waltzing and being like, oh yeah, I used to love this. Why did I even get away from this? And just kind of reminiscing. And I saw a new issue of Savage Dragon, which I picked up and bought. And uh, it spoiled some things for me because I, I found some things reading that issue. I was like, oh my God, how did I, how did we get here? But it made me realize I have to go back and read all of this. And that's, so that's not only is it one of the things that captured my heart as a, you know, as a fan in the early years, but it also was what brought me right back into comics because when once I started going back and reading all these issues, I, I kind of went back down the rabbit hole of, of going to all the uh, you know all the websites and reading about comic book news and knowing about the big events that were going on and uh, you know starting to get back into things and that's when I got back into uh, you know DC's rebirth really sucked me back into DC stuff so it, it really led me back into comics overall by sucking me back into years worth of story that I had that I had missed that I had I had let that sort of wonder of my teenage years of, and of my childhood uh, sort of pass me by and I realized. Like, wow, I'm in my 30s now. There's no reason for me to not go back and, and read all this stuff. I, uh, you know, this is not something I have to, you know, leave behind when I'm when I'm going off to L.A. to be an adult. It's something I can now go back to and now enjoy. And again, that's one of the motivations behind this podcast is uh, just sort of rekindling just how my interest got rekindled. I want to either rekindle the interest of people who are in similar, you know, similar position. Maybe they were into these things when they were younger and sort of faded away or kindle it for the first time for people that haven't been into this stuff <laughs> and found this podcast for, you know, from one way or another. And that is how I look at things. Yeah. So we're going to dive right in with Savage Dragon. And he, he, did you read, you said you found some of the original issues, right, Remzo? How did you actually read all these? I, I read I read some of them on Hoopla. Some of them were there. And then, you know, I, I found that. And, and it's crazy because there, there, there was a period where, like, a bunch of comic book stores in my area were closing down. So what I did to take advantage of their sales is I would just buy stacks of shit without even looking at what's really in them and buy them. So, like, 50 comics for, like, 10 bucks, Insane. So I read a little bit of it there. I had a couple single issues that weren't in the best condition. And then I watched a lot of recaps online. So between all of that, between actually trying to take the time to read it and then finding some of the original issues to then finding the recaps, I've got a pretty good understanding of the the first archived collection of it and holy shit i i understand why the cult following is there right it's small but resilient 
It's very like it's like I okay I was in, when I was a kid living in Australia one comic that they had there was the Lee Falk's The Phantom and when I came back to the US I was still a big Phantom fan and they've got some Phantom comics that come for a limited series here or there but like he has no following except on the darkest corners of the internet that's the only other way I could find any like savage dragon club i'm pretty sure there might be a small one on facebook but i saw a lot on reddit a lot of fan forums dedicated to it like it's still it, it, it's crazy because these days of movies and tv shows and all this other stuff even the most b c d lister comics not that i'm saying that savage dragon is not one, is one of those but even they have a I larger mean, fan base than this it is in a way that it's, it's not cool. in my heart, but it's not, you know, it's not one of the A-list uh, image comics, you know, it's not a spot. Yeah, but like, you know, I, I look at the Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, and even some of the new stuff that came out, like, I would not say that I like the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, especially the stuff that came out in the in the 90s of like Art Adams and stuff. I, I won't do that. But with Savage Dragon, on the other hand, it, I just feel like it's been gypped in a way because I feel like it should have a bigger following than it does. I just don't know why it hasn't been able to reach that level. Yeah, I mean, it's a different kind of book. It's not always as flashy, although it certainly has its level of flash. I mean, I, I wouldn't describe Eric Larson's style as flashy per se. Um, he can he can kind of do the classic superhero style, but he's also able to do really kind of gritty, realistic feeling art, you know, just like certain scenes where Dragon is uh, depressed and has like a, you know, a, a sort of a half a beard. I mean, just the, the re- there's a lot of realism to his superhero-ness that you don't necessarily see from the Rob Liefeld. Uh, I love him to death, but, you know, he's a little more one-dimensional, whereas I feel like Larson's art can take you into different kind of moods depending on where it is. Um, I watched most of this watched. See, I think I'm dealing with episodes and issues. I just can't, <laughs> I can't keep track of this stuff. I read most of this through the archives because, again, I have my original issues at home. And the tricky thing about the archives, A, they're in black and white, which I actually found refreshing in a way to, re- to read that way. Uh, but also there's no breakup of issues. Um, but essentially, the, the Savage Dragon Archives collects issues 1 to 3 of the original miniseries, as well as issue 1 to 21, which is basically that whole thing is the what you would call the Overlord saga. It's the very first sort of overarching storyline um, that uh, that occurs in Savage Dragon. So that's – I read the whole thing. I know you read a good amount of it, but you you know what happens. So I'm going to feel spoil free away. To, to spoil away. And I also want to warn the listeners right now, if this is a comic you want to get into and do not want to be spoiled, maybe hit pause right now go go to hoopla because it's there on hoopla you can read savage dragon archives number one and read every single thing we're going to talk about today so i will give you this opportunity right now and if not if you don't don't mind being spoiled you just want to hear well just keep listening that the rest you've been warned but you have been warned yes that's all we can that's all we can really do uh so i'm going to feel free to, to just talk freely about everything that happens and i because we're dealing with so many issues here i really want to do more an overview of this thing i'm going to go through a lot of the events and the different things that happen but i'm not going to go issue by issue like we have in the first couple episodes because it's just you know it's, it's a lot of stuff to go scene by scene in this would just be way too much for us uh but we'll, we'll kind of get each other's overall thoughts on the storylines on the characters uh the art and all of that stuff as we go along as we as we do as we do here at Second Print Comics. Uh, but basically, uh, this oh, this is the one reason I wanted to ask where you read these. 
when he trade paperbacked and archived some of these things, he I know he rearranged some things. He might have rearranged the order of some scenes. So there might be things that I recap and and there might be a slight variance to how you read them. So I'm curious if anything comes up like that uh, along the way, because I don't remember necessarily what might be different from the originals, the original prints 30 years ago, because even because I, I read a lot of this stuff, not the early stuff, but a lot of this stuff in trade paperback, too. So it's hard to say, yeah. but I know that with, there is extra stuff in the archives and the trade paperbacks that are not in the single issues. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, one, one thing I will point out is I, I had another I- image comic. I think it was uh, Liefeld's Wildcats. It, this one was not drawn by Liefeld. I think it was around the time that he was leaving to go back to handle the Heroes Reborn line at Marvel. But you see Savage Dragon it, play, play a cameo role in this. And it, the, the thing that came to me was that he was in color. And the the one thing that I, I will say is that I don't think there's a, an appreciation for minimalism in comic book art. Usually when people take that, they think of, you know, just not putting as much detail into things. But really, by leaving something black and white, that still is within that minimalist style. And uh, it, it really is funny. I know we're going to talk about image and uh, that, that whole period of the 90s in another episode but like this this style really is going to go and you know really be an impression to people like robert kirkman because his entire um walking dead run was in black and white and even with the new negan live series uh that i i will admit i i've been a walking dead fan of the tv show i just never picked up the comics i was i was in college and you know i picked up uh negan lives issue one like a week ago and just actually getting to see that in black and white you there's you see such you see so much more of an appreciation for how much work and detail has to be put in to the drawing and the inking alone and i think sometimes even when you know even though most comic book artists do a lot more stuff digitally now there's still that little effect that little nuance you see with how they draw things that gets lost so getting to really look at um you know larson's run on this at the beginning because he has not had as much of a change in how he draws things compared to other people but you definitely see how when you're going straight from just you're having to work with your giant easel and your paper to now you're working really with a stylus pen and a giant screen, there there's some little things that are lost in there. And I mean, that's what I, I found myself just staring at pages for the most part reading this. Like you're just you're just enamored with how much he's able to do with so little. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Eric Larson's art, he he got famous for his art, but I think, like you said, he's kind of the one of the most underrated artists, especially of that image group. I think he is the, the most underrated, to, to be quite frank, because he's my favorite and is probably the one that is talked about the least or close to the least. I mean, certainly compared to a Liefeld or a Lee or a McFarlane. Yeah, I mean, with with uh, with Larson's uh, spectacular Spider-Man run, I mean, it was good when he was doing that. He, he you know, he drew it and somebody else colored it. So you see some of the differences when he's doing it and it's not colored. And when it is colored, I think it's better when it's not colored because you could see where the colorist will sometimes make some edits based off what the editor at the time at Marvel wanted. I mean, Mark Larson is good, but I feel like because McFarlane was given his just plain Spider-Man series around the same time as Spectacular, and then you saw the rise of Venom and other stuff, you see that they're similar, but almost everyone would rather go grab a, you know, a Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. So I feel like that had yeah. something to do with it because he's good, but he's overshadowed to a certain degree. For sure. For sure. 
So I don't know the exact answer why he's so overshadowed, why he's so overlooked, why he's so unheralded, but that's why I'm here to herald and to uh, get people interested in this book. And uh, if I if I get one Savage Dragon fan out of this, I'm happy because it's I mean, it's such a small group. And, and once you are a fan, like you just have to be a fan. There's I don't think there's that many halfway fans. There might be people you're in or you're go. out. You're in or you're out. Um, yeah. And so I, I guess I already know I've created one because it sounds like you're pre- you're pretty in here. So that's something. That's something I can at least hang on my hat. But I'm not I'm not going to stop at one just because I'd be happy with one. We're going to get many, <laughs> many more of you out there to at least check this out. Because, again, you can get the stuff for free uh, on Hoopla. I mean, Hoopla is like the, the greatest source, the greatest treasure trove um, of, of comic book reading. You can read so much stuff for free that way. So I highly recommend that. But I also highly recommend check, trying to check out the uh, the original issues if you can find any of them because you can really get that, you know, the comic book feel, as Remzo would say. You know, the feel of holding the, the book and all of that. Hold it. Stuff. Smell it. Stare it. at it. Press right. your face against it. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because my issues are not, because my archives that I read are not divided by issue, I have an idea of where things are split up, but I'm not going to try to do issue by issue. I'm just going to talk about what's happening, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. So uh, things start off, and this is part of the miniseries. I know that because it, it was what introduced the character. Uh, you see this green guy. He wakes up in a burning field with no memory. Of course, I'm reading in the black and white, so I guess I wouldn't really know he was green until, until they start talking about it. Um, and he, this nurse there, her name is Ann Stevens. We'll be seeing more of her down the road, calls him Mr dragon because he has this fin on his head um this guy this lieutenant frank darling he is the one who found the dragon in this burning field the guy they call the dragon uh that and stevens named him the dragon um frank darling wants to recruit him because chicago where this occurs uh is overrun by freaks uh by you know villains with superpowers uh specifically by this organization called the vicious circle it's just a bunch of superpowered freaks that uh do bad guy things rob banks and uh you know have hijinks and uh heists and do all the stuff that bad guys do in general like Uh, real chicago just like real chicago yeah actually pretty much (laughs) and uh so frank is begging this guy this dragon guy uh to join the force um and um you know we don't. You know, Dragon is is really hesitant. He's like, I don't even know. So the weird, the interesting thing about Dragon is that he. So he wakes up. He has these powers. Um, he has this kind of freakish figure. He's really strong, but he doesn't remember anything. Like he has amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He has no idea of his own history. But he knows everything about the history of the Earth. So he knows. He knows every pop culture reference. He knows who the president is. He knows what happened yesterday, the day before he was found. But he doesn't really have this memory. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a specific memory of his own life. So that's really unique about the character that, uh, that you know, he, he he knows everything about the world. It's kind of a mystery. It is a mystery that gets solved eventually. And I mean, really, 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 really eventually. So you can ch- I won't spoil that because we're only talking about these this first storyline here. So I won't spoil Savage Dragon's uh, actual origin story. It is a pretty interesting one uh, once you get to it. But it does play out naturally in the comics as long as you're willing to go through about, I think, about 140, 150, 160 issues Ooh. or so until you get to that, to get to his origin. So I guess that's a spoiler a bit as well, too, because they do try they do try, try, kind of reference uh, his origin a few times throughout this. Uh, but yeah, he he has been recruited to the the, the police force. We later find out. But um, really, what happens is uh, Sav- Dragon says no at first, um, and then um, Darling says, "Okay, I can get you a job at my cousin's warehouse." Right. So Dragon starts working at this warehouse, and these freaks from the vicious circle show up, and um, you know, they t- Dragon fends them off, and he he fights them away or whatever. And and <clears throat> what happens is they blow up the warehouse. Uh, so again, you see Dragon just as he was in the beginning in a burning field. You see this kind of same image over and over of dragon or someone else being kind of 
just left for dead in a burning field. Um, but of course, Fred, I think his name was Fred. I might've made that up. Anyway, Fr- Frank's cousin uh, is not a super powered freak. So he dies in this blast. Uh, and this is what motivates dragon to join the force. He says, okay, I, I am more powerful than, than these, than these guys. I, I can defend people uh, like this. Like I can't just have this responsibility, almost like a, a Spider-Man kind of thing, but with a, with a twist that we'll see later uh, where he kind of said, I, I'm not going to fight this battle. And then realized, you know, he has this power. He's kind of obligated to fight the battle. Um, have, have, have you noticed that it's like there, there are really two types of heroes, the ones that are just altruistically good. And then the ones that almost have like this uncle Ben complex where it's right. more like they're being heroes out yeah. of guilt. And uh, yeah, for the death of Frank's cousin was kind of the Uncle Ben moment, I guess, for Dragon, you, you could say, where he realized he has to he has a, some sort of responsibility to use his powers for a good to stop thugs like this that are just going around uh, rampaging over people doing whatever they want because they have superpowers. So that is the the very brief version of Savage Dragon's origin story and how he gets you know onto the police force. Uh, but I'm just going to go through, through some of those key events in the beginning. Uh, we learn about this guy, Robert Bergman, who dies. Uh, he was murdered, and you you find out that he was actually the, the secret identity of a superhero called Mighty Man. So the world believes this character, Mighty Man, to be dead. And a, a lot of these things, he's planting seeds for things that will come out you know, later on in different storylines. Uh, Dragon also confronts this bigoted cop, Howard Wiseman. Uh, this is someone who will be kind of a foil of Dragon throughout the series. Uh, and Dragon goes on this very prescient rant like that relates to today about racism and police brutality and really especially with the events of the last few months i mean that was really something that really you know really seemed very very relevant when when dragon went on that rant um against you know bigotry and racism and police brutality it might be a little too generic for my taste it's not really nuanced but you know it, it, it does speak to wow this is a conversation that was going on back then uh that people were having and now when did the now, when did the la riots happen 92 i believe it was 92 right so this is like right, right before that's about to break out with the whole Rodney King situation. Not yeah. that police brutality is a recent thing. Yeah, April but, 92. So yeah. this was like right then. Oh, shit. Like maybe right, right then. <laughs> that's, that's some interesting timing right there. But yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of like culturally relevant stuff. Larson is always referencing current events. And that's what's interesting about the series because it takes place in real time. It's always referencing current events. Uh, it's really interesting going back and, and reading this stuff because they're, they're always going back to sort of, it's almost as if that we live in this real world that we live in. I mean, that he follows events as if they're all happening, except he lives in the version where there's super, you know, super powered, powered characters and such. Uh, Dragon also meets a vigilante named Star uh, during a meeting, and uh, we'll we'll see him popping up a lot. A lot of these characters end up getting their own miniseries, so that's why he's planting a lot of seeds of this stuff. These are all part of the original group of characters that he developed as a, as a kid, so he's working them all in, and uh, you know, so he's he's setting up a lot of miniseries as well as storylines that will take place within Savage Dragon itself. So Mighty Man's going to get his own miniseries eventually. Uh, Star's going to get his own miniseries eventually. Freak Force, um, you know, Super Patriot. Like, there's so many different series that spawn off of this stuff. So he's, he's laying a lot of the groundwork here. Um, one, one thing that happens in these early issues, Dragon kills this monster named Arachnid, who is just literally killing and eating children. And, um, this, and there's a big rant here where, um, it's basically a reference to Marvel comics and they're, you know, Arachnid sort of being a corollary to Spider-Man, uh, about them being fat and bloated and there's no one big enough to stop them. Uh, you know, but he's going to stand up to them. So it's, it, it was kind of a corollary of image comics sort of taking their power <laughs> back and, and standing up to Marvel. It was a little, a little too obvious actually. To, to I, me. I, I almost, I almost feel stupid. I didn't, I didn't, I, oh my God, I did not see that. Oh, so I guess I, it's not too I, obvious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, now looking back, it's like, well, shit, they're kind of laying it on thick there. 
Uh, I mean, I guess I guess that's the thing with some of this. There's a lot of self awareness within a lot of the stuff from from Marvel. I know. I'm sorry. Sorry, from a lot of the stuff from Image. I know that in uh in some of the comics they had like Jim Shooter and some of the other publishers as stand in cameo characters pretending to be other people, and they would be like these giant pricks, and they're getting yelled at, and they they would throw these little jabs there. But this is one of the ones I feel like I should have caught. Right. Ah, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure I didn't catch it when I was, you know, 12. I probably didn't catch it at all when I was 12. But reading it now, I was like, oh, yeah, they're, he's just taking a big shot at Marvel here and doing a whole big corollary with it. Uh, we also learned about another character that I just mentioned named Super Patriot. He was just sort of a standard hero. Uh, but then he was sort of uh, he was completely mauled in a battle and turned into a cyborg by an organization known as Cyberdata, which we'll be hearing more about. Um we also, let's see, Dragon meets Debbie Harris, his neighbor, who seems seems bummed out about things. And Dragon is kind of trying to defend her, um, kind of not trying to console her, I should say. And uh, he seems to kind of spur her advances at first. Um, but anyway, Dragon battles the Vicious Circle. Super Patriot shows up and just goes to town, starts slaughtering people, starts slaughtering everybody. And then Dragon and Super Patriot battle each other. And they leave Dragon seemingly dead on the floor. Uh, again, in the re- in a repeat of the vacant lot scene, uh, Dragon is just been completely mauled and brutalized by super patriot who seems to be being controlled uh by something else at this point because he's not you know this is a superhero supposedly or somebody that was a superhero before he this go around murdering people shouldn't do that soups so let's see. We learn. We then learn. This enables us to learn about Dragon's healing ability because uh, Dragon is in the hospital, and that's when we find out. Like you know, he he healed so fast. Like you know, they 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 couldn't believe how fast he was healing. Um, let's see. You also first learn about you know we one of the officers we met in the in uh, when Dragon first joined the force was uh, Alex Wild. And uh, Alex was so worried. She comes in running into the, into the hospital and, and Dragon kind of says, oh, I, Alex, I never knew you cared and kind of gives a little smile. So it's the first hint we see that there's some potential romance maybe between Alex and Dragon. Uh, again, this is something that we'll see play out over time, whether it happens or doesn't. But it's, it's always something that's there. It's always something that's at least being teased that there's there's always a respect and friendship between the two. But there's also you know, a little bit of tension uh, at all times. What do you think about just going on? Because, you know, I, I'm going to hit on a lot of these events. I don't want to just ask you about all of them at the end. But what do you think about the kind of ongoing developing, you know, relationship-ish, whatever it may be between Alex and Dragon? The the big criticism of Image Comics at the time is that the writing for most of the series was not as up to par as, let's say, the artwork was. Because a lot of these people were writers first. I'm sorry, were artists first and then writers second. With Larson, though, he, he's able to do two things. One, he's able to tack, t- tap into the ultra machismo type of stories that, you know, the anti-hero era of the 90s and that the other Image series are going to be able to really hit on with mainstream readers but when you look at you know just the slow character progression like this i'm not gonna say it's like a slow burn because i don't want to imply that you know it just takes forever to get to the point but you know the the writing with this is probably superior to what you're gonna see if a lot of the early image titles out there and it's genuinely good um you know the the dialogue doesn't seem super canned the characters don't just seem like you know fillers or stereotypes it's a genuinely good story and I think that's something that, and I mean, I keep hitting on this. 
I, I don't understand why he's so underrated because just as like an artist, it, it's like when, you know, with Kanye West, I know Kanye has been in the news a lot, but Kanye's biggest criticism at the beginning of his career was that no one was producing him. He was producing himself. So he fell into the stereotype of like the producer rapper, like the producer who thinks he can rap. So he's going to try and produce his own stuff right. with Larson. You really see him able to tap into a side of him that I definitely know he wasn't getting at Marvel. Right. Producing, creating, writing the whole package and, and being able to do it all himself at one point, at one point in this book, not in this part of the series, but at one point, Larson actually does everything. He does the writing, the inking, the the drawing, obviously, um, the coloring and the, the lettering. There was a very brief time where he did it all. Only I think it's only a few issues where he, and he quickly realized, like, I cannot do it all or I'm never going to get this book done. But he had tried at one point to literally do the whole thing, which is uh, impressive. But I think just sticking to drawing, you know, to the art and the writing is prob- probably enough. Uh, let's see, but moving on, we find out that Overlord, who is the, okay, so the Vicious Circle is run by this guy named Overlord who has this armor, and that's really all we know about him is that he lives inside this armor, um, he's basically just a mob boss, you know, in armor, we don't really know his origin yet, we find that out later on, but we find out that Overlord paid this company, Cyberdata, to send the Super Patriot to kill Dragon and to kill his three henchmen, because I guess there are, you know, while Overlord is running things, there's been some rumblings uh, that there is sort of a group inside the vicious circle that wants to sort of splint off and potentially take power from Overlord. And him being a mob boss type person, he wanted to also take care of his own people. So he figured I could send, you know, I can pay Cyberdata, this company, to hack Super Patriot, put a chip in them or whatever they did, kill this dragon guy who's causing trouble and kill these three henchmen who are, you know, maybe going to cause trouble for me. Yeah, so, so be, be honest with me. Be honest with me really fast. Does Overlord look like a Doctor Doom knockoff to you? Uh, sure, I think he's almost supposed to be, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think this is one of the things that somewhat upset me because that was another criticism of Image. For everything awesome Image was doing at the time, they also do something which just – it's almost backhanded in a way. It's like with uh, Wildcats and Cyberforce, a lot of them um, – you know, were basically X Men, X Factor people, and right here, Overlord looks almost exactly like Doctor Doom. Right? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Except he runs a a, a mafia organization instead of a, a small country in Eastern Europe. Basically, that's the main difference. Uh, but yeah, over a lot of those characters, you can tell are sort of knockoffs or homages to other characters in mainstream comics. It's just when you dig into them further and further that they actually become more interesting. You know, whereas if you're just looking at the surface, yeah, you can say like, oh, Overlord, Doctor Doom. But when you get into the actual characters themselves, is when I think you really get sucked in and learn the nuances of these characters and how they are very different than the character they might be based on on, on the surface. Yeah. Anyway. Um, meanwhile, Dragon, uh, the only thing that Dragon has in common with, with Wolverine is not his healing factor. Besides the healing factor, Dra- Dragon is also a ladies' man. He is getting, you know, he's getting the hots from everybody, from this nurse Ann Stevens, from Alex, uh, from this chick Amanda Mills, who's just obsessed with him, uh, Debbie Harris in the apartment building. Um, everyone is obsessed with Dragon. Um, and then one thing that they try to do a lot in the early image, they try to do a lot of crossovers. They try to have um, characters appear in different comics. So we do have a battle, a really stupid, silly, pointless battle, but well-drawn between Dragon and Bedrock uh, for basically what I call it a pointless young blood tie-in, but it's really, just to, <laughs> it's really just to remind people that there are other books out there and that there are other uh, books to go read. So that was their initial attempts in the early days to just kind of, um, you know, kind of blend over. There was also a random spawn appearance. He was just kind of like in an alley. Um, and it turns out this whole battle was because Bedrock, who was called Bedrock, he was later changed to Badrock. I think there was some kind of copyright issue there, maybe with the Flintstones people, why he couldn't be called Bedrock anymore. But Badrock is probably a bad... They're both bad names, let's be honest. It's a pretty stupid character. 
just a big rock. It was, it was what it was. It was what it was. Uh, but yeah, it was just a test to join young blood. And then dragon takes a shot at, at Marvel again, saying how basically we're at mainstream comics. I don't know if it's directly at Marvel, but he's at how stupid a thing that is when, when heroes fight, because they're trying to test another one to, you know, to join their team, which is a, a trope that we see in comics so many times. So dragon used the trope, Larson used the trope, but also poked fun at it. So it worked for me for what it was. Cause you know, if you're going to do a stupid tie in for no reason than to do a tie in, you know, I'm fine with how he did it, I guess. It might as well be cool. Right. Uh, Dragon also finds Debbie Harris again, sad in the hallway, locked out of his mom's house. Uh, We also see Frank is being threatened on the phone. And we kind of learn through Frank's point of view, Dragon doesn't know this stuff yet, that Frank actually gave a tip to the Vicious Circle goons that attacked the warehouse that killed his cousin to recruit Dragon. Um, Now now he's being threatened by this guy, Skullface, who's just in this armor with a giant skull (laughs) and uh, as his his face, uh, hence the name Skullface. Uh, He is the one that's kind of, um, that's been threatening Frank behind the scenes here and threatening his family because, because you know, he knows Frank's secret. He knows that Frank tipped them off. Uh, meanwhile, Frank is terrified. Like, what's going to happen if Dragon finds this out? Uh, meanwhile, what's going to happen to his family? Uh, so there's some nuance to this this origin story we find out as, you know, it wasn't just a coincidence that this, this warehouse was attacked. Frank is actually responsible for the death of his own cousin and for the events that led to Dragon joining the force. And Frank, you know, every time we go back to Frank on this, uh, he has this tremendous guilt over this. Um, anyway, we go back to Dragon's apartment. I believe this is the end of the first series. I'm going to try to speed through things a little faster. Uh, but, um, yeah, basically De- Dragon Fang finds Be- Be- Debbie Harris in the hallway. She's the neighbor again, and she's sad. She's sad about her relationship. Her mom has locked her out of the, uh, the uh, her apartment. So Dragon, being the gentleman that he is, takes her to his apartment, and then being the gentleman that he is, bangs her steadily. So, um, Like heroes um, do. Now, this part has always confused me, because later in the series, Dragon refers to Debbie Harris as his girlfriend. Meanwhile, he had spurned her advances previously. This seems from the issue to be just one night because uh, Debbie wakes up. There's a knock on the door. She opens the door um, and she is shot in the head by what turns out to be her ex-boyfriend, who was jealous that she was, you know, I guess that she was over at Dragon's house. And then that boyfriend, whose name was Arnold Dimple, by the way, kills himself and Dragon is just horrified. And that's how the first, that's how the miniseries ends. Um, they later t- act like it was his girlfriend. Um, but in the issue itself, it always seems like he was turning her down and then finally said yes. And that's where Dragon's guilt about relationships we'll see going forward comes in because he's so afraid, you know, that what happened to Debbie Harris will happen to, you know, will happen to somebody else, um, just by being with him, by, by association of being with him, even though it wasn't necessarily his fault at all, because you find out that that, um, Debbie Harris's mother had had a conversation. You find this out later on, had had a conversation on the phone with this Arnold Dimple, uh, about 30 minutes before that. So we, we believe that Dimple realized that Debbie was over at this guy Dragon's house and went over to kill him or maybe kill her or whatever, but ended up killing her either way and then killed himself. So Dragon is just there absolutely horrified by what has happened. What do you think of that about these you know, these couple little twists with Debbie Harris's death and also find out that Frank was behind that initial attack? It, it almost feels rushed to a certain degree. I mean, that that's how I kind of saw it, because if you kind of pay attention to it, it's almost like, OK, this this almost feels like he's intentionally speeding things up to get that shock factor out there. And um, that's that, that that's something I don't like. I feel like it could have lasted a few more issues. I feel like, you know, they could have shown more time between him and her to kind of develop building that up. So that way, when they brought it down, it, it meant a lot more, almost like an Electra situation. Electra was introduced in Daredevils during Miller's run. They have a few more issues to really develop her. So then when she dies on Matt Murdock's doorsteps, it means something with this one. It's like, I see it and I'm shocked because it happens, right. but it's like, 
Okay, on, on to the next one. Yeah, it's hard to say if we're supposed to think, it, uh, you know, that was one scene when he sleeps with her and then a relationship developed over some time and then she gets killed. It's hard to say because time is so weird in Savage Dragon because it does take place in real time, but takes place in real time over time. Not necessarily all like sometimes there's a three month catch up and now we just made up for the last three ep- issues that might have taken place over like a day, you know. Uh, so it's hard to say yeah. exactly how much time passed. Uh, but yeah, there I agree. Like his grief over Debbie is yeah, it is a little, a little bit forced, I guess. It happened just a little too fast. You know, we never got to know a relationship there. We just know that she was there and then she died and now he feels guilty about it. Yeah, I mean, that that is the part of this that I I, I have a bit of an issue with. Right. Uh, moving along, um, let's see. There's, there's a lot of recap in this book. With actually, I like because it helps new readers catch on to a book that is very uh, complicated. So if a reader jumps on and gets a little recap here about what happened with Dragon, how he joined the Force, or what have you, I think that's really good for new readers. Uh, as someone who already knows it's going to happen and is going through the archives, it can get a little cumbersome getting the constant recaps through dialogue or through you know through narration, whatever it is. But I see I see why Eric Larson does this, especially in these early days, because they're doing everything they can to bring new readers on to crossover readers from other books. So I get why he wants you know if someone just jumped on from Long Young Blood because the episode before uh, the episode the issue before uh bedrock had appeared and maybe a young blood reader comes in he wants that reader to not feel overwhelmed so that's why he's giving them recaps all the time uh to try to at least make people feel comfortable like okay i know how he got here so if i like this i can continue instead of just feeling like i have no idea what's going on uh, but anyway, that's just a note I had. Lots of recaps. Uh, Frank, we find out, is actually steering Dragon away from the Vicious Circle. So he's sending him off on these random adventures um, and, and stuff like that to actually take him away from the actual crime that's going on because he's now being blackmailed with threats to his wife uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, at the same time, Dragon meets Debbie Harris's mom at her grave when he goes to visit her grave. And she is pissed. She is does not. She blames Dragon for everything. And she's furious at him. And this is just an, a very angry woman that blames Dragon for everything that went wrong uh, with her daughter being killed. Uh, Dragon also brutally, brutally slaughters. Well, he doesn't kill him. He's, he does survive, but he brutally goes after this uh, this creature called the Shrew. And that's one of the more violent scenes that it, we see in Savage Dragon is this battle with the Shrew. What did, you, what did you think about that? Is that one of the issues you got to read in full? Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's there. I mean, the, the one thing that I will say about Larson's art is that he's extremely detailed, but it's also one of those moments where it's like, okay, ha- how long is this fight going to last? With him, I always feel like he's either giving too little or too much. That That's part of it. It's like, I yeah. think he's good, but I mean, it's it's part of his, I think there's a struggle as a writer because he's writing the stuff that he's doing. So the way that a writer and an artist will do things is they'll try and condense it so that way it's easier for the reader because they understand that. That's why you need a writer and an artist to work together on this. Whereas with him, it's, it's always a little bit of that. So just when you think things are going to get really good, it ends. Just when you think, okay, this, this, is, this is going on too long, it keeps dragging. I almost feel like I, I, I like that he's able to write and draw. Sometimes I just wish he had more of a sounding board. This is one of those battles where it's like, okay, it's it's nice, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm missing something. I enjoyed it just because it was the first time we really saw Dragon. I mean, he, at first he didn't even want to fight these guys at all, and now he's gone so far over the edge uh, just in these few, you know, first few issues here. And now he's really going on full violence and just becoming. I think you're seeing a development in the character of going from reluctant hero, reluctant person who didn't even want to fight, to now this over the top when he sees this creature who's just slaughtering people. Um, he he has to really go after him and, and find this new level of violence in himself, like a level of violence you definitely won't see in, in Marvel or DC comics. You might allude to that violence in those comics but you really see it here with larson and uh yeah i, I found it uh i found it effective as, as just seeing the continued like 
heightened levels of violence and the kind of the development of what Dragon is willing to do um, at this at this point, you know, at, at this point in his journey, which is so different than what he's willing to do at the beginning. In the beginning, he just wanted to work in a warehouse, you know. Yeah. Let's see, we meet, meet a lot of other characters along the way there. So Dragon battles Ricochet and Barbaric. They are um, just a couple of freaks that live underground. Uh, we also meet Dart. She's a uh, She shows up. She was recruited, uh, I believe, from Detroit uh, to join the force because they realize they need more superheroes, although she doesn't really have superpowers. She just throws darts, but uh, she seems to be really talented in that in that, in that manner. Um, Dragon is also off. He battles uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and of course they then team up to uh, defeat this gargoyle. Um, we also see somebody stalking Dragon. We'll find out who that is later. Uh, at the same time, there's allusions to something horrible at a house in DeKalb, Illinois. We're all just planting seeds of different characters that are going to come out. We also meet this musician, Peter Clapton. This is a musician who ever, they, they constantly allude to him being star. Uh, Clapton gets his hair burned off, and at the same time, the superhero star suddenly has no hair. And it's kind of like a known thing. It seems like the public sort of knows that Peter Clapton is star, or we're at least supposed to believe that anyway. And we'll find out more about that going um, as we kind of go along. Uh, there's a scene where Star and Dart actually come upon each other, and they're battling some some more freaks. And uh, they get overwhelmed. They're, this is during a jailbreak that they both help out with. They're getting overwhelmed, and they are saved by Mighty Man, who we all thought was dead because his alter ego, Robert Bergman was killed way back in those early issues. Let's see. Meanwhile, at the same time, Alex and Dragon are getting very suspicious of Frank because they're realizing that Frank is sort of sending Dragon on, on journeys. You know, he's not there to help with the jailbreak because he's off in New York battling like a gargoyle and entangling with these Ninja Turtles. So it's a whole thing. Uh, let's see. There's one scene that I noted where um, Dragon says, you just said the magic word to, to Ann Stevens uh, when she, she's just talking about him getting out of the hospital. But that is a reference that we'll get to in a minute, uh, that Dragon, uh, one that if you don't know what's going on yet, you don't really get why that's a reference. But as someone who knows the whole story, it's really interesting to see little little kind of things like that here and there. Uh, there's also references to a woman being Dragon's mother. She keeps calling the station saying she's missing her son, Rodney Schwartzblatt. We see pictures of this guy. He has a, he has a mohawk that looks just like Dragon's fin, and she's convinced that Dragon is her son, and she keeps coming back, you know, over and over. Uh, Dragon also battles and defeats a being called the Fiend, uh, who's just this sort of demonic-like creature. He defeats him fairly easily. Uh, we also meet Horridus. That is who was in this basement in DeKalb, Illinois. That was alluded to a few times. Uh, I guess her parents had killed themselves and had left her chained up down there. But she's basically this sort of armadillo, yellow-looking freak with a tail. These All these characters we're meeting are about to be formed into Freak Force, uh, which is another spinoff miniseries that uh, that Larson will launch under the highbrow image. Uh, we also meet Sharona, Dra- Sharona Jackson, also known as Rapture. And uh, again, like every woman Dragon meets, she clearly wants to bang Dragon. Uh, along the it's way almost here, like an extra superpower at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty much like Wolverine. He has healing powers and you know drawing the women powers at the same time. So not a bad set of powers for Dragon to have. Uh, let's see. Debbie Harris's mom is questioned by the police, and that is when we find out that she had talked to Arnold Dimple. Uh, you know, thirty minutes before he she, he killed Debbie, which we did not know before. So there's there's always layers that we're finding out and finding out about all the different storylines going on. Uh, Dragon keeps trying to confront Frank now, who's just like he's so distraught, and Dra- Dragon can tell he knows something's up. It's so obvious, but he doesn't know exactly what's going on yet. Meanwhile, they ban uh, Dart from using darts because she's being sued by this Zitman guy. So now they have this concern about having these freaks on the force and having them injure people, and there's you know all these kind of like real world concerns they bring in that probably would happen in real life uh, with superheroes have, with lawsuits and injuries and that sort of thing, just like we have now uh, with police brutality and that sort of thing. That's always going to come up. And in a a world of superheroes, you're going to see that play out uh, in the same way. Finally, Dragon confronts Frank, who just reveals everything. Dragon tells Frank to get out of town. 
so, so Frank just like leaves town altogether. Um, let's see. We have Freak Force now. Freak Force has basically been brought onto the force as this team of superheroes. Uh, I think Freak Force is Barbaric, Rapture, uh, Dart, Horridus joins. Ricochet wants to join, but she's like 17, so she can't join right now. She's kind of an unofficial member, and they're kind of joining Dragon on the Force uh, at this point. It's sort of another another unit of the Chicago PD. Uh, I'm going to stop here. Comments on the storyline so far? It's it's the pacing. I think that's my biggest thing. I wish he... Yeah, I mean, it's either too fast or it's too slow. It's either too abrupt or it's not obvious enough. He's a good writer. I, I don't want to discredit that. But, you know, I he think he's trying to do a lot. And what we see in this early volume of Savage Dragon is that he's trying to get it. I, I wanna, I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to try and see what he did after this years later. Because, I mean, he has to have improved on that a little bit. But just judging this storyline off of it, it's the pasting I have an issue with. Yeah, that's all fair. And it's, I think that is more when reading this in bulk, the pacing becomes more apparent. Whereas when I read it issue to issue, it didn't feel quite as overpaced, you know, quite as I as can see that. Paced. So I think when you read things back to back to back, it's always going to feel a little higher paced. But I think that there's a fair thing to say, whether it comes to the development of, of the Debbie Harris character and what we're supposed to, you know, what's what we're supposed to feel there. Um, there are certain things that do feel a little bit like, yeah, they could have been fleshed out a lot more. Um, even like, you know, I, as I go through these events, you know, I think about like the formation of freak force. It kind of just seemed to happen one day, you know, whereas he's setting these things up, but he's, he's almost putting these characters there so quickly that it's like, okay, obviously you're just, you know, setting up a miniseries or obviously you're just want us to go, you know, read freak force now. Yeah. Like for a lot of this, they could have been separate story arcs. Right. For sure. Yeah, for sure. He's trying to work a lot in, in the beginning, I think. And I, I think that does improve over time, especially you know, later in the series. But he is, at the same time, always trying to do multiple things, always trying to do different story arcs, always trying to build uh, different background characters, bring them back, reference them. So it's something that's always there, but I think he does get the pace. Yeah, there's definitely a good point to be said about the pacing in these early uh, issues. Uh, moving on, yes, there's a, there's a splinter group of the Vicious Circle known as the Annihilators. They are led by this guy named Cyberface. That's all you need to know about him for now. The Shrew is actually acquitted of murder because they found this leech-like creature and they on his neck, and they believed it was controlling his behavior, so he's actually acquitted. Uh, there's this guy, uh, another character. See, there's so many characters, and there's also different miniseries that have happened, so there's some things that you know they reference that you don't know. If you didn't read those miniseries, you don't know what's going on, so this was like... Sudden, yeah, suddenly yeah. Armfall Off-Boy does not sound so ridiculous. Ridiculous, exactly. and you've yeah, got like people Va- like Cyberface. Vanguard disappears, and Dragon kind of already knows who he is, you know. And he's, you know, Vanguard's in custody. They're referencing Supreme, another comic um, under the image label. So uh, we also find that Super Patriot is actually being run by an organization named the Covenant of the Sword. Now, so this guy is being run by everybody. He's, uh, I think, at one point he had the. I don't know if we found this uh, this part out yet, but at one point he had the leech on him as well. One of those leeches. Um, he's also being was being controlled by Cyberdata. Um, you know, Super Patriot really really gets the short end of the stick here. He's always being controlled by somebody it seems uh we also meet a very again as far as obvious knockoffs go our richard richards a very obvious J. jonah jameson uh knockoff he's condemning the freak force program and uh yeah he's not a big fan of dragons so he's obviously his uh his sort of J. jonah jameson <laughs> being set up here again a little too rushed i can see that too because this is a storyline that just that kind of just takes place over a couple days uh, let's see. We, we one character I want to mention. Be sure to mention along the way is the character of Dung. Did you did you remember encountering the character Dung? No. Go go ahead and break him down for me real fast. Dung is the guy who uh, just shoots poop out of his arms. 
And see, arm fall off. Poi does not sound that ridiculous now. Right. I mean, Dragon comes up. I mean, Dragon. Larson comes up with a bunch of ridiculous characters, and I'm not sure who Dung is based off of because he has this phrase "UI." He's always saying "UI," and he's shooting poop in people's eyes. And I'm, I have, I am not quite sure if that's based on like a real person, a real character somewhere, or if it's just something Larson made up. I have not been able to find out anything about that, but. Somebody that stood out, a character who just shoots poop. And believe it or not, Dung is a character that will have ramifications over the years. <laughs> which wow. Is, yeah. That's I don't right. know how I feel about that. I'm here at issue 250, and there are still references to this character existing. So let's just say that. Wow. Uh, let's see. Um, there's a big battle again, and uh, Mighty Man again shows up to save the day, so we know Mighty Man is still alive. Barbaric destroys this teleportation matri- machine as these uh, villains are trying to escape, and he's pretty sure he killed them all by doing that. So that was uh, a big oopsie on Barbaric's part, which is still adding to this idea that the freak force and the, the freaks on the police, the freaks on the police force, are, are causing a lot of problems, a lot of damage, uh, maybe more so than they are worth. Let's see. Let's see. We found out about Dragon's mom. We already talked about that a little bit. Or his, his you know, supposed mom, the lady who thinks he's his mom. Uh, eventually, Freak Force quits altogether and walks out the force because of all these new restrictions, all the lawsuits, um, all these different rules they have to deal with. They just leave in mass. And the reason for that, they're going to their own series. So I actually read Freak Force for a while, too. It was really an entertaining book uh, for, I think, 20-something issues as well. So Did, did Larson also write that, or was that handed off to I, someone I think else? He, it was handed off eventually. I think he might have written just the initial issues, you know, just the initial three-issue series. Gotcha. I could be wrong, though. He definitely didn't do the writing and all the art. Um, let's find out. But I, I do remember enjoying Freak Force. I do have the, the initial. I think I had the whole thing because I think it only lasted a couple of years, uh, that initial run. But, yeah, I think the problem is a lot of these early issues are trying to set up Freak Force, you know, are trying to set up Vanguard, are trying to set up Super Patriot, are trying to set up all these different things. So that, I think that's why it probably feels rushed with, like, I think that a lot of the storylines he lets play out underneath, but he's like he definitely rushes like adding all these characters in, and that's definitely more apparent reading it. Uh, you know, reading yeah. It I mean, right now. I mean, whose benefit is that for? Is it to really double down that Dragon is in this world, or is it really to kind of give those extra characters the spotlight? I mean, with Image, it's a lot like the issues of the early Valiant comics. They're trying to set up so much world building that's almost it's almost self defeating in a way because I could I I, I like this series. I'm gonna keep reading this series but if i was just getting into comic books this is probably one that i would read an issue of and maybe reconsider as to whether or not i'd want to commit right because there's a lot going on it kind of depends on where you come in uh they do have a big um let's see a big uh recap in the elevator there's an elevator scene when they finally go to confront um they go to confront uh overlord here because frank and dragon have have kind of reconciled uh Frank's wife leaves him and Cy- and Cyberface, this villain that they captured, is talking. He's talking about Overlord, kind of giving them some tips about him so they can figure out exactly, uh, you know, where he is, where he's going to be. So Dragon and Frank show up in the elevator. We get a, basically a recap of the entire series. And uh, you show up, you're expecting this big battle, right? It's a big battle that's about to happen. Dragon finally confronting Overlord. They show up and um, he immediately, Overlord immediately kills Frank. Frank's dead. And then immediately blasts Dragon's hand off, blasts a hole through him, throws him off the roof, and Dragon's an impaled on a spike and this to me was like such a pivotal moment in my comics reading because this is when i really realized like wow larson is not going the conventional path here like i'm expecting a battle and you get a massacre you see frank die uh you see savage dragon just mauled you have no idea how he's gonna live and uh it was just shocking to me in a a really really good way what did you think about that that culmination of them confronting overlord 
It, it definitely does remind me why people want this because the the one thing that Image and all the other writers and artists have is that they're willing to give people what they want. And if you show this to some people who are more you know more aware of like Marvel DC, this is something that they would never go to. It's almost vulgar to a degree. But this is what you want. This is what you're getting. And I mean, his art style really pops up because what you're seeing is harsh. You look at it and you you feel it. You're like ah, oh, you look away for a second, then you look back. So I mean, it's moments like this where you're really rewarded as a reader right right for sure for sure yeah and then that you get so attached to these characters and you think you're going to be at the culmination of the event and then something else happens and you realize oh no this is going in a totally different direction than i thought i think eric larson is so good at that at that sleight of hand like making you think he's going to go one direction and going a totally different direction uh in the meanwhile we at the same exact time we find out that cyberface is dead in prison uh so it seems like all hope is lost he's the guy that had all the evidence against overlord they were going to arrest him and now you know dragon's been missing now at this point because nobody knows what happened it was sort of like a secret mission with him and frank uh and frank's dead and all all looks lost, and there's some amazing panels here of dragon climbing down in the snow. Uh, I think some of uh, some of uh, Larson's best artwork here is dragon kind of climbing himself off this off this uh, this spike that he's impaled on and climbing through the snow and just collapsing in the snow. Uh, meanwhile, Frank is alive. We see he's alive on a plane. So that was not actually Frank that died just there. Uh, I'm going to try to really shoot through the rest of this here uh, because I really want to touch on the main the main kind of events so we can talk about the series overall more. But uh, let's see. Dragon is actually missing. Dragon and Darling and Frank Darling are missing for four weeks. So we find that uh, Larson uses a lot of what I call like the news recaps, which is something that Frank Miller used a lot of. Uh, Alan Moore used a lot of, you know, it's like you see the news on TV and they're just kind of recapping some events. And that's how we find out about so many different things. We find out about this new vigilante named Mace. Uh, We find out about more about our Richard Richards ranting about Dragon, ranting about Mace and vigilantes in general. Uh, we uh, dragon is eventually found, you know, after like a month or whatever it was, like barely clinging to life by vicious circle thugs, by Cutthroat and Hellraiser, two of the thugs that we've met in earlier occasions. Um, and so this, he's he's just found in the worst way possible and has to has to now battle them. Uh, he's he, they they leave him completely collapsing, and he is then found by Rapture. Eventually, he's then nursed back to health by Ann Stevens, and well, right while he's being nursed back to health again, again he's attacked by Super Patriot, who we find out is being controlled by one of those leeches, and they get the leech off him, and everything's cool now. They realize Super Patriot was just being controlled once again by somebody else. So uh, again, this seems, seems to continue to happen to see Super Patriot, and once again, Alex is super super happy to see Dragon, maybe even more so than a regular friend might be. Uh, Mace also beats the fuck out of the shrew. So Mace is just violent. He does not like that the shrew got off. He is really just a, a, a vigilante version of Dragon, you know, a dragon without the rules of the police force holding him back. He's willing to get violent, and he doesn't care about necessarily the rule of law, per se. Um, Dra- uh, Rapture shows up at Dragon's house to uh, to bang him, because <laughs> she's, she's been alluding to for many Because why here. not? Because why not? And uh, he, she finds out in the, the most surprising way possible, when they're all naked and they turn the light on, that his hand is back and it is bloody, but it has grown all the way back. Uh, we also find out here, uh, r- shortly after that, that Rodney, this Rodney Schwartzblatt, his prints don't match Dragon, so it's definitely not the same guy. But they do leave it open. They say, well, but Dragon's hand just got blown off, and we don't know if he develops the same prints over and over, so that could have happened before. So they're still leaving that door open a little bit. A really pointless battle against Jimbo the Mighty Lobster. We're going to skip that, because that was really, I didn't see the point to that at all. 
Uh, we see the fiend return who has inhabited this other guy who's kind of been hyped up by our Richard Richards, this guy, Doug Herman, uh, Richard's propaganda. You find out the fiend really feeds on anger. So he's looking for a vessel that is, that has the most anger and hate in it for it to live in. So that's why it keeps hopping to different people, uh, to find someone with that much hate. And he finds that hate in Doug Herman, but it's not quite enough. And uh, dragon is able to defeat him pretty easily as well. Uh, when Doug Herman inside, he realized the dragon is actually good. You know, that our Richard Richards propaganda was that he was just being propaganda by it so that that takes away the power that the fiend had uh, it also turns out Cyberface is still alive. He was poisoned in jail, but he is still alive. He has been brought to back to life by something called Project Born Again, which we're going to learn out about way, way down the road. But that's just another little seed there. We find out that uh, Frank dying was not actually Frank. It was this robot called Lurch, who is a shape-shifting robot that is owned by um, by and borrowed by Dragon's friend Vanguard. Um, I know there's a lot going on here, so I just want to take a pause and let you speak on the, on the events. Uh, I mean, it's far because we're going to wind to the end of the storyline pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of it's a lot to kind of handle and process. And I think this is where you're starting where if you've read it from the beginning and you're at this point, you're definitely going to see a lot of those loops begin to kind of close off and you're going to see new new issues and more obstacles build up over time. I think this is where it shows at least the, the one thing that he has that not a lot of the early vision creators and writers had is that at least he has some inner continuity at least it feels like you know all this is paying off because the other image folks you know they they will say this about their writing a lot of things are built up not to happen a lot of things are kind of set up to be something that can happen it just never comes out at least with larson writing this while i might feel that it's getting a little bit wild at least you can see where everything's connecting so i gotta give him a i gotta give him a good one for that you can definitely Definitely criticize him for setting up too much, you know, for setting up a whole bunch of things. All these different characters were introduced to all these different. I, I'd lines. rather him. I'd rather him do that than not have it pay off, though. Exactly. That, that's my point. He pays everything off and you you don't see all these payoffs here in this particular storyline necessarily, although you do see a good amount of them. But uh, if you really stick with this book for years and years and years and years, it's just amazing the things that pay off. I mean, it's really incredible how he works so many different things back in. So that is something that he's definitely uh, epped at. We see more crossovers. Uh, we see a, a kind of, again, a pointless crossover with Wildcats, uh, you know, another sort of uh, fun misunderstanding slash team up type situation. Uh, we get more heavy implications that star is actually this guy, Peter Clapton. We also meet Amy Belcher, who's dra- dragon's biggest fan. Uh, she's calling herself. She dragon. Now she is one of the, the freaks that kind of, uh, I think one of the freaks that lived underground, but she's dragon's biggest fan. And she's kind of, you know, following him around. Uh, we also see a battle, uh, between dragon and this character open face and dragon rips out open faces tongue with his teeth. Open face is just a giant face that opens up, uh, as the, as the name implies that opens up with teeth, teeth and a tongue. So that was another, you know, he, I think Lars is really good at these random sort of violent acts and really making them pop out. Like even when you're, even when you're seeing violence, in the series a lot you know little moments like that you're like he still finds a way to wow you at all times with different like levels of gore and and both gore and sexual you know sexual things as we'll see later on in the series yeah i mean it's it's those moments where i almost feel like he does that because he feels like he has to and less because it adds to the story i mean he he's coming in an era where it's like give the fans what they want but also make something that's going to be good long term i mean reading this now almost 30 years after it's been published i could still genuinely say this is a good story because of moments like this from the art and the writing i can't say that about you know things like wildcats and stuff yeah exactly i mean wildcats and 
young blood and everything else. They they wow you with the art, but there was the stories were just really flat. I mean, Spawn had a pretty decent story uh, overall. It kind of faded over time, but I mean. Uh, in terms of like actual writing and trying to develop characters, I think I think like you've mentioned a few times, he does try to do too much. He does try to introduce too many characters, but again, he is at least really developing characters here and really developing long-term storylines. Whereas you know the other series, they might set things up, but they were just a lot less consistent with actually having long-term visions for a lot of these things. So even though there's a lot going on, there's a reason for everything. Ultimately, um, Dra- Dragon meets these new characters led by an, a guy named Rock. So we're again <laughs> right back to meeting new characters. These are the, a group of underground uh, underground freaks, different freaks that we met earlier with uh, Ricochet and Barbaric. So there, there's different kind of uh, there's a lot of freaks in Chicago. That's all we can say. Just like real life. Because why? Because Chicago. Yep. Uh, at one point when they're fighting the Wildcats, uh, Mighty Man disappears, and then uh, Ann Stevens is there. So finally, Dragon realizes that Mighty Man and uh, you know Ann just reveals. Actually, I don't think the reveal came quite yet. Uh, no, no, this is where it happens. Yeah, Mighty Man reveals to Dragon that she is that might that he is or she is Nurse Ann Stevens. So basically, when Robert Robert Bergman died, uh, he died in the hospital, and as with his dying breath, he transferred his power, kind of like the Shazam power. Basically, it is Shazam, um, and uh, except this when mighty man turns transforms by banging uh, her wrists together um so now um and stevens has had the power this whole time of mighty man uh she's been hesitant to use it but has started to use it more and uh she just bangs her wrists together she is mighty man so mighty man is kind of like a separate being that she turns into and it could be anybody that could be mighty man which is something you know it's a it's kind of a different twist on things uh with a character that is a woman but turns into a man so i, I think that's a pretty neat thing they they kind of had set up already or, or really from issue one uh but finally if you hadn't figured it out yet we do get the payoff to that reveal did you see that coming at all or did was it obvious I mean, it's hard for me to say because i've known not at all no because i mean that's okay. something yeah. like a lot a lot of these tropes are things that you've either read or will read decades from now right that's not one of them um let's see lurch this robot actually that was acting as frank is keeps returning now so now overlord knows something's up because at the last it just remembers its last program and its last program is to go try to capture overlord or kill overlord so now that's what it keeps trying to do now so now overlord realizes wait that wasn't frank i killed this is that's this other thing whatever this thing is uh rapture is banging the shit out of dragon <laughs> i just had to put that in there because we see this a lot but there's there's a, a particular scene in there that um is particularly I, I can't even call it sexually suggestive it's just it's straight up uh, it's there r-rated yeah <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. And then basically uh, dragon figures out when Lurch comes back, um, they, they're battling uh, another, another dragon. And it turns out that it's actually Lurch. They're battling Vanguard, but it turns out it's actually Lurch this whole time, transforming into, into Vanguard and into dragon. And then that's how Dra- uh, dragon also realizes that overlord realized that. So now dragon knows that overlord knows that Frank is alive. So now the shit is really hitting the fan. Uh, we put an end to it once and for all the Mrs. Schwartzblatt controversy when her son Rodney is seen on TV uh, and Rodney just says, oh, I guess I haven't called my mom in a while. So that finally puts an end to the suggestion that, you know, Dragon could really just be this guy transformed. Meanwhile, Skullface shows up at Frank's house and they, while he's on the phone with Dragon, and they have an epic battle. I love the battle between Frank and Skullface here. I mean, Frank is just a regular human. He is doing everything to battle this, this guy. He's like driving a truck into him. He's lighting him on fire. Uh, it's just an, a really epic, epic battle. Uh, at the same time, Dragon gets leached. One of those same leeches that controlled the Shrew, that controlled, um, you know, that controlled Super Patriot at one point. And Dragon starts going on a rampage. Mace is able to get the this vigilante Mace is able to get the leech off by using his Mace weapon and hitting it off the back of the neck. Uh, this is all at the same time concurrently that Frank and Skullface are having this big battle. 
Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, we also see Debbie Harris's mom as the fiend watching over as we see a leech return to this character named Horde. So there's another character. We realize this, these leeches are being controlled by another villain named Horde. Again, that's just setting some uh, another villain up for later. So Larson is always setting up these these other villains that will come back eventually, uh, but we don't exactly know. You know, it's we know that later we're going to learn more about them. Uh, we, yeah, we find out the fiend has inherited Debbie Harris's mom, who obviously has the amount of hate towards the dragon that the fiend needs. Uh, so the fiend battles dragon, uh, within this battle, she resurrects Debbie Harris and, uh, fiend is just trying to kill dragon, ripping him to shreds. And finally, uh, Debbie says, please kill him, mom, kill him. So she's about to do it. And then she realized, yes, please reunite me with him. And she realizes, oh my God, if I kill dragon, I'm going to reunite him with my daughter. So then she spares dragon's life for that reason. Uh, yeah, what did you think of that kind of the, the way that battle ended? Again, a little bit of unconventional, or maybe it is. I mean, I'm sure it's. it's I mean, it's it, it's it's definitely good. It's just one of those things where it's like you, you have to really understand the story to appreciate it because it's not just the artwork that's good; it's also everything kind of coming to this final conclusion for the story arc. Right. Right. Yeah. And we are winding to a head on this one. And I know it's hard because I'm, I'm kind of rushing through because it's hard. I want to cover all the major events. So, you know what happened. But again, without doing a little literal issue by issue recap, but we are almost winding down with these big events. And I think describing the events themselves is one thing, but it's really the art, the writing, the whole package. And I really recommend giving yourselves at least 10 issues, you know, to really get the groove. And if you're not feeling it after that much time, like the initial series and maybe the first half of the archives, uh, then maybe it's not for you. It's probably not for everybody. That's why it's not a huge mainstream hit. Uh, but I would recommend really giving this one some time to simmer because I think the more you let it simmer and the more all these extra characters are coming in, which feels overwhelming at first, the more you see the little payoffs, the more and more you get sucked into things. Did you find yourself at least feeling that kind of as you're going along? Yeah. And I mean, if I, if I wasn't reading it all you know, kind of binging it. it, it would otherwise be something I would probably have a hard time catching on with. I think because of how I've been able to read it and figure out everything, I have much more of an appreciation for it versus if I had to grab it off the spinner rack. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, to, but basically to sum up the rest of the storyline, um, this guy, Howard Neisman, is snagged by the octopus man. That was, uh, as we'll call him, that was uh, kind of palling around with open face earlier. Um, and Dragon saves him, even though they're big enemies. And of course, and then Howie says that he heard that octopus guy talking about a secret weapon somewhere to take control of the vicious circle. And then they go and find Cyberface once again. So Cyberface is being held down there or kept down there. Uh, he was basically being nursed back to life and kept alive by these underground freaks, uh, which are in this is sort of the same area where he battled with uh, the octopus guy. So we've found Cyberface, which means once again, we have what we needed. We have the ability to actually arrest Overlord and find out everything about him. Um, there's a big um, attack on the station. Uh, the, the vicious circle is just going nuts. There's a, a you know, Captain Stewart is killed. He's the, the actual captain above Frank. Uh, not a character we really got too attached to, but, you know, it was a it's a big deal to see the captain actually get killed. You're familiar uh, with him enough. Yeah, you're familiar. You've seen him in and out. Yeah, he's not like a character you're attached to, but he's he's been there in and out. Um Let's see. Overlord blows the whole building up and and kills everybody but Dragon. Uh, finally, Dragon goes back to confront Overlord. And again, when you think you're going to finally see an epic battle, Dragon kills Overlord with simply one bullet in the mouth because he learned 
from Cyberface, we can assume. He learned the weaknesses of the armor, learned everything about it, learned his identity. We find out that he's just this mob boss named Antonio Segetti. He, he is what he acted like. He's a mob boss. Eventually, he had had, uh, had Cyberface and Cyberdata, the organization that he like worked with, um, create him this armor, build him this armor, and that's why Cyberface knew everything about the armor and made whatever deal it was with the, the police to give up that information. And Dragon, instead of having a whole battle and putting himself at risk again and getting his arm blown off, getting a hole blown through him, he just shoots him right through the mouth in the exact part that he is able to aim for because Dragon also has like super aim and all these other kind of like really refined skills that, that we kind of discover that he discovers as he goes along because he doesn't even know how he does everything at first and that's like a run really, really interesting aspect of Dragon is he's discovering his own powers and his own abilities as he goes his ability to heal his ability to do this and that because he knows nothing about himself but everything about the world um, what do you think about the ending here of the storyline and the reveal of Antonio Segetti which is really it's not like a character we referenced or anything which in some ways I found refreshing you know, it wasn't, it didn't just happen to be one of the people on the force that we knew. It wasn't just a, a massive twist. It was just like, yeah, it was this mob boss. So it wasn't shocking or anything, but I, I like, I still like the way it was done. You know, it didn't have to be a shocking reveal as almost any other storyline would be attempt would be trying to make it like some character we'd met a few times or the mailman or, you know, so, something shocking that might not have made any sense. This at least makes sense. Yeah. He's a mob boss who, who got a suit built for him and he's not a freak, but he controls all the freaks by having the suit. Yeah, I mean, just with that final shot where Dragon goes ahead and takes him out, what, what I do appreciate about this series is that none of the fights, none of the battles, none of the confrontations are predictable. They're all done in a way that makes most sense. And I feel like a lot of comics, regardless of the publisher, they fall into that trope where they're either too predictable or they fall in a way that doesn't feel genuine to the characters in the story. And even though it would have been cool to maybe see a giant fight, it almost feels more rewarding seeing it in a way that just makes sense. Cool. So what's your final verdict here on this initial run of Savage Dragon, the Overlord Saga? I am biased because it's my personal favorite comic. Like, I kind of just wanted to give it a five and five, uh, because, but that's so much loving it so much. But I can't say it's perfect. You know, there, there's times the art can be a little bit confusing. Uh, there's times that, yeah, there is just too much thrown against the wall. There's times things aren't developed enough. Um, so if I was really going to be honest, even though I have my personal nostalgia attached to it as my number one, I can't necessarily call it a perfect comic or a perfect book overall. So... I'm going to give the art, I'm going to give the writing probably a 3.5 to be really fair. Cause I think it's very good, but there are problems with it. There are problems with the pacing. Um, some, maybe there is too much recap. Uh, it could be intimidating for a new reader. Um, so I'll give it a 3.5 and I'll give the art a four. I think his art's great. It can at times be messy. It can at times be a little confusing and jumbled. It, at times, some of the scenes can be, um, just some of the fight scenes can be a little confusing. I think sometimes when, when he tries to do too much with the art. Um, but this doesn't feel right, Remzo, because this is my favorite book of all time. And I'm giving it a 7.5. No, Remzo, this is all wrong, Remzo. <laughs> this is the problem with working this out live. I got to boost everything up because even though I don't want to give it a 5.5 five, because there are issues, I can't give my favorite book 7.5. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going half a notch up on both. So I'm going to give the writing a four and a 4.5 because I think the criticisms are minor. It's not prose. It's not like Neil Gaiman or Alan Moore type prose. But for a comic book, I think it's great writing. So I'm going to give it a 4.5. Uh, I'm sorry, a four, I should say. A four from the 3.5. And uh, I'll check the art up to 4.5 because I really do love the art. Uh, so now we're at an 8.5. I feel a little bit better about this. It's uh, Maybe my bias is bleeding through, but I have to let that bleed through a little bit because this is our personal opinions. 
And, you know, I, I totally get it. There are many things I love, like, you know, like I, I watch corny B-rated movies like Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop is terrible. The filming is bad. The acting is worse and the story is stupid, but I'll watch it over and over again. Uh, for this, I mean, I, I definitely want to preface this has made a fan out of me. I'm definitely going to have to go order some some of the tradebacks of this because I, I just have to. When I love something like this, I want to be able to hold it and pick it up whenever. Um, as I've mentioned throughout, my, my problem is the pacing. I feel like it skips too fast or it drags on too slow. I don't like how he's used too much of a vehicle for all the other characters. I feel like that was time that took away from him and his core supporting cast. So I'm going to give the writing a 3 out of 5. Um, Fair. Fair. He's, he's not... I, I really do like his artwork, but he's not my favorite artist, and I feel like um, it's it's too, it fits in too much with what was going on in that era to have really been something that stood out. I'm going to give him a four, mainly because I, I like the fact that with this, he chose not to color it, and I think that was something that makes it really unique. So altogether, out of ten, I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. All right. All right. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. So I, my my nostalgia boosted it a bit. So we're probably only a little far off in reality because, you know, my nostalgia and my love for the book overall, because I think my current love for the book and seeing a lot of this stuff play out more has kind of tainted my view in the positive way by looking at this stuff now. But I definitely see the the problem of him trying to do too much, set up new miniseries too much. I mean, that's the part that only because I'm a freak and I've read all this stuff, I really get everything that's going on. <laughs> For a new reader who probably hasn't read the five other miniseries that spawned out of this, let alone read this book, I can see how that would be a little bit intimidating. But but the real question is, are you into this enough that you want to keep going? Because I really want to keep coming oh, back yeah. to this book. Definitely. Okay. So what we're going to do there, is... There are too many questions. There are too many questions. Exactly. 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 So you're intrigued enough and that makes me happy. So what we're going to do is we we have a schedule over the next you know few weeks and months of things. We're always going to, we're kind of always planning really far ahead. As soon as you feel like you've gotten far, far enough along, you know, to get into the next storyline and, and you want to proceed, you let me know. You say, I'm ready for Let's more dragon it. and then we'll come back to it. Uh, so Remzo, it's been a blast as always. Before we sign off, uh, I just want to remind people again, please do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Second Print Pod on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Second Print Comics. You can also find the Fan Zone if you're lucky enough to get to it before it hits 50 members. I do not anticipate that taking too long at all, so it might even have already happened by the time you're listening to this. And of course, our Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Remzo, anything else you want to mention? Folks, if you feel deprived of hearing the sweet sounds that is Mark's and I's voice, you can go ahead and check out our shows. You can hear Mark over at Lines of Liberty, over at Lines of Liberty, and you can check out my show twice a week on the run with Remsa W. Martinez over on iTunes and everything else as well. You know how the internet works, folks. Yes, you do. We don't need to tell our readers how to go to, you know, how to go and find podcasts at this point. I think they all know. We're going to assume you are that smart. If you're They're nerds. If they you're know. nerdy as us, you already know how to find podcasts. <laughs> And uh, one thing I do want to mention, we are, well, by the time this airs, we should already be running on the North-South Connection. Now, this is a, a wrestle, primarily a pro-wrestling-related podcast network. As you know, there's a lot of overlap between the, the pro-wrestling universe and the Marvel sort of comic book fan universes. And so we're going to try to catch a little of that overlap and vice versa by uh, sort of bringing my, ourselves into that network. So uh, our shows are going to air every Wednesdays, but also on Fridays, the same episode will then be dropping in the North-South 
South Connection feed. So if you're a fan of pro wrestling at all, I highly encourage you to check out the North South Connection. This is run of my friend JT, Justin Rosero. Uh, he founded the Place to Be Nation, a big uh, comic book and wrestling sort of website. And they have spawned this podcast feed. And they decided that in addition to the pro wrestling, they want to bring in some pop culture stuff. So they're going to mix us into that as well. So you can also find us over there. If you're a pro wrestling fan at all, if you're a nerd of this stuff, uh, if you're as into pro wrestling as you are about, as we are into comic books, as you probably are into comic books, if you're listening to this, then you're really going to love what those guys are doing over there. So check out the North South Connection, both for some pro wrestling stuff and to see us there eventually. So I think that's about it. Remzo, what do you say? Let's wrap it up. All right. Well, until next time, my friends, read comics, change the world. Good night, America. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.